Welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful winning woman of color to the show. Hello, and welcome to Stimming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. The main focus of the show is to highlight and showcase the stories of minority women in STEM. It is my belief that if we want to encourage minority girls to pursue STEM careers, they should first hear and learn from those who have lived those stories. It is my job to provide a safe environment for them to do so. So let's welcome this beautiful and vivacious woman in STEM to our show. Hello again to my listeners and welcome to another episode of Stimming in Stilettos. Man, when I tell you we have had some heavy hitters on the show and today is no different. <laughs> so we have Dr. Pamela Leggett-Robinson on. We're going to call her Dr. Rob today. Um, and when I tell you the things that, that she has done in her career and that the things she's doing now, you're going to want to hear from her and about her. Um, so I do want to welcome her to the show. So welcome to the show, Dr. Rob. Thank you. I can't even wait to begin this story. Um, we are going to, we're going to put her um, her bio out um, in the show notes because um, we don't want to, we don't want to spend all the time because it's long because <laughs> she's very accomplished. <laughs> um, but we also want, I want to get to, I want to get to her story. So as we begin every show, Dr. Rob, tell us your STEM story. Oh, wow. So full disclosure, I'm 52. So if I went through everything, we would be here forever. So <laughs> let's not. Um, I, I will start with really talking about my love of chemistry and where that started. Um, so I grew up in Decatur, Georgia, as we finally call it, the deck. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was in that uh, group of students that were bused from my home um, my home environment to a, ma a, a majority uh, or minority environment. So I went from Decatur, Georgia to the North Lake, very affluent area to attend high school. Well, while I was there, I met some friends, but I fell in love with chemistry. I had a chemistry teacher, Dr. Williams, and I, like, she was smart, but dingy at the same time. Mm -hmm. And she came up with all these crazy acronyms but they were such cool acronyms that I remember them. And I just, I just loved watching stuff blow up. And, and I actually um, spent a lot of time in detention when I was in high school um, because I would literally put stuff together, put it in the drawer. It would either blow out the drawer, ferment something. Um, so I, I literally had more detention than I had cheerleading practice. Or I would figure out a way, like I didn't know then that you could write your name on the desk with the Bunsen burner and light it. That was, to me, that was so cool. So um, that's where I really fell in love with chemistry. And I drove my mother, when I say absolutely bananas, because she couldn't understand like why my daughter 
is a good student if she has attention. <laughs> you know, it's for a good cause. So, um, so at first I wanted to be a chemical engineer, um, but I struggled a lot in math. And I don't know if I struggled in math because I just didn't have the aptitude or I just didn't put the time in. But nonetheless, um, I went to the University of Florida and I still struggled. I, I, when I say I struggled academically, struggled academically. So full disclosure, my first semester, I had a 0.92 GPA. Wow. Yeah. My parents were like, what in the <laughs> first generation? We have saved up all this money, sent you down there, and this, you're going to show out? Right. Same math class, same math book, and couldn't pass the class. So that, that struggle went on until they politely um, told me that I needed to take some time off and regroup and decide what I want to do. But in that time, I, I came back to Decatur and I attended a two-year institution. At that time, it was DeKalb College. Now everybody knows it as Georgia Perimeter College or Georgia State University Perimeter College. But at the time, it was DeKalb College. And I, I was still wanting to be a chemistry. I flipped it over to pharmacy. I didn't like, I got sick in all biology class. And so, um, but I took organic chemistry and that's like, I knew I loved chemistry, but that's why I really, really love organic. Like I was introduced by this woman, Judy Johnston, who is now deceased. She died of breast cancer and she made it so interesting. Like she talked about chemistry from the perspective of people. And that was the first time I had ever heard anything like that. And it was good. You know, she was my first woman professor. So that was great too. Right, because usually at University of Florida, you weren't seeing none of that. Mm -mm. But, but I remember the, the one thing that she told me that really just drove chemistry home to me was that she talked about the difference in thermodynamic chemistry or thermodynamic reaction and a kinetic reaction. And um, and my students will tell you I tell this story the same the same way. And kinetic reaction is like a one night stand. It's very quick, very dirty. You get in, you get out, you get the product that you want in a very short time. And I always, she likened it to going to a nightclub and having a one night stand. Okay. And I was like, okay, so at, at you know, at, at, at 20 and 21, that's what students remember. And then she talked about a thermodynamic reaction, which was long, slow, stable. It's, the, it's that guy that's courting you over time that really wants to get to know you, that still wants a stable, a stable product, but he's willing to take the time with you. And so those were the city and those are the types of stories that then I began to tell in my own class. So fast forward, I went to Georgia State, got my um, bachelor's degree um, and, and was afforded great opportunities. I was a McNair scholar. Um, and so, you know, with that, you're supposed to get your PhD. Full disclosure, I was the last one out of the group to, to get it. <laughs> the last one. Uh, but it's okay. You know, so, sometimes they say, you know. Take a little longer. That's all right. You had to you had to simmer and stew. You had to simmer and stew. I did, and but I had a great experience um, and realized that I needed to go to grad school. Um, but I had a great advisor, um, Dr. Lucian Strakowski, and he was a little different. But I remember him telling me that I didn't need to get a PhD. I needed to go get a master's, and I was very upset with him. Um, I couldn't understand it. I was the only black girl in his group, so I figured he was just being racist. But he wasn't. He was actually telling me, you know, you're getting ready to get married. I've seen this happen to women all the time. And what happens is you get married, you have babies, you don't finish. Mm. And so the best thing for you to do is to go to a smaller school 
to get your master's. Get your master's. Get a sense of accomplishment. If you have a baby or two, everything's not lost. And then you can just move forward. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. True to his words, exactly what happened. I got married and got pregnant and then finished. And I had a, you know, I had a baby and I had a master's. Um, and I worked for a little while teaching chemistry at the high school level. I don't really share that story very much because I hated it. Mm -hmm. um, and then went back to school to get my PhD at Georgia State. Um, I didn't work with uh, Lucian Spurkowski. I then worked with um, Al Baumstark, who was actually my research advisor, my undergraduate advisor, um, as when I was an undergraduate and then turned into my research advisor. He was amazing. He really um, understood who I was and his group was very diverse at the time. And like, I really didn't, I really didn't get that. So a lot of times when you're younger, you don't, you don't see those things, right? You just think that this is the world and it doesn't matter that you're maybe the only black person in there. But I did notice that there, there was like maybe seven or eight of us in grad school at the same time that, that looked like me. Um, and we kind of gravitated to each other, but everybody else was friendly. It was very international. And mm -hmm. that too was very different. But Bombstar's group was women. Um, and then I think there was one or two guys but the one guy was Asian. Uh, he had a, a research associate who was a Hispanic. My lab mate was Hispanic. Then there was a, a student working at, for her master's and she was black. And then another one that was working on his master's and he was black. So it was very diverse. Nice. He, always, he always pushed that issue. And when I was struggling with a class, but I was doing very well in research and he was like, it doesn't matter how great your research is. I need you to get this class, Pamela. And so he said, so to help you get the classes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set you up with another professor that's going to help you with your organic chemistry. So the class was polymer, which is a, like an a offset shoot, if you will, of organic. Yeah. Um, so I did that and it, it was very helpful. But in that time, he was grooming me, little did I know, to be an academician. And so I was his head TA. And um, at the time, and I always had the late class that nobody wanted. Um, and I had kids. And he asked me, he said, is this going to be a problem with you? I was like, no, as long as I can, you know, renegotiate my time. He was mm -hmm. like, well, that's fine. And so I was known as the singing TA. So at, when it was, you know, <laughs> I remember Pharrell, um, that song, he had beautiful. And I would say that about Crystal. And I would just walk around and talk to people. But when it was time to go, I would always sing the Carol Burnett song, right? I'm so glad we had this time together. together. Yes, love that song. <laughs> the students would know exactly that they probably had about 20 more minutes. And then when it was time to go, I was like, all right, good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it was during that time that I really, I think, fell into a love of teaching and helping other people. Um, and then I... And so as I was finishing up my degree, I, I met this woman, Daphne Dixon, um, and she was a tough cookie. Gonna be, I mean, when I said tough, like people were just like afraid of her. Um, but for whatever reason, like she liked me. And um, I remember I was getting ready to do a seminar and she raked me over the coals. And I say raked me over the coals? Nasty. Like wow. nasty. Like, to, to the point where I was thinking that I wasn't good enough to be in a PhD program. Mm. And she actually posed that question to me. She was like, you need to figure out if this is something that you really want to do. And so I remember going home and this was like the night before the, the seminar. Mm. 
so I had, at the time, like I said, I had two small kids. Um, I think my son was four and my daughter then would have been seven. And so I was going through a divorce. I was living with my mom. So you can imagine I already had stress. Right. Here she go. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I gathered my thoughts. I talked to, to Al. And then the next day, I, I really just, just prayed about it. I was like, Lord, I just need you just to show me what I need to do. Right. And I taught the seminar. Instead of giving the seminar, I taught the material in the seminar. And when I finished, she came up to me and she was like, you are supposed to be here and you're supposed to teach. This is what you're supposed to do. And so from that point on, like our relationship was gravy. She nice. helped me um, learn how to write grant proposals. Like I took a class from her and instead of just doing a literature search, she rolled it into helping me write grant proposals. So for every literature search that I did, she, she told me to think about it as I was proposing a new idea. Wow. So when I finished, um, I had like three proposals ready to go. And um, she was actually very, very helpful in getting my first job at Tuskegee. So I interviewed at Spelman and they offered me a job. It just wasn't enough money. And I love Spelman. No, no shade there at all. But I, I just needed a little bit more because I had the two children. Um, and so, yeah, so I went on to Tuskegee and, and I loved it. It was hard, though. It was really hard going from a PWI to an HBCU. Mm -hmm. I had never attended one. I, I, I had heard of them. I knew friends, right? I had gone to a couple of football games, but that's not the same. Right. But, but it taught me a lot about myself. I learned how to think outside the box. Um, and I really learned a lot from the students. They taught me a lot about who I was and what I was able to give. Because when you're sometimes when you're working at a PWI and you're just, I mean, you're just among people that one, even though there's a small amount of you, you like you you have similar backgrounds. Mm -hmm. so we yeah, may have been yes. all first generation, right? Right. <laughs> but your story is the same. But the story is the same. But going to an HBCU, like I really began to understand the HBCU experience. I began to understand how to fight for students in a way that students had voices. I remember one time I, we didn't have, and I know if somebody sees this from Tuskegee, they'd be like, I can't believe she said this. But at one time the fume hoods weren't working as well as I thought they should work. I'll just say that politely. And, um, and I was upset. And I remember telling the chair, what are we gonna do about it? He was like, well, there's really nothing you can do about it. And I was like, aha, but there is. I sent all 25 of the organic students over to the president's office. I was like, so what you gonna do is you gonna sit on over there. Because he's not going to listen to me, but he will listen to you. And so the, the fume hoods got, got fixed. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but, you know, it, and, and it gave them voice. And they began to understand a little bit more about the depths that I would go through for, you know, for them. Um, they talk about my class. I was a rough teacher. I, I was like a beast. I saw on Facebook not so long ago, somebody's like, you don't know anxiety until you get a 10-page organic test. <laughs> I bet. But I think they knew that I really loved them and I really wanted the best for them. I understood that they needed to be better than their white counterparts at every step of the way. Unfortunately, I think that's true. But I mean, I think... The lesson they learned, I bet you they're still talking about you. I bet you yeah. they remember. 
<laughs> they do. And, and from that, you know, I had, a, I had a great research group and I was thinking not too long ago, um, giving, thinking about them going to present their work and they would always say, we can't afford to go. And, and I had grant money. I was very, very blessed um, to work with people that saw more of my potential than I actually saw of myself. So I had um, an NIH Star Fellowship and, and I had money from that. And then I had an NSF grant, I had money from that. And then I had some RISE money. So I always had money for students. And I, was, I would tell them, if you can write the abstract, and it's coherent and it makes sense and you can get the research done, then I'll send you wherever you want to go. And so my group literally traveled on a regular basis and they would send me pictures of them working in the lab and they'd be so tired. They'd be like, well, we got to get it done. And so I, I really enjoyed my time at Tuskegee, but with all things, I think as women, especially, we need to know when our time is coming to a close someplace. That is a whole word by itself. Um, really quickly, though, just for my listeners, can you tell us what in, um, NHS, I mean, now you say NHS, you said NIH, and then you said NSF. Can you tell us what those um, acronyms stand for? Right. So NIH is the National Institute of Health. And so they're usually looking at um, things from the health standpoint. And so that research that I did was innovative um, work for cancer, cancer prevention or chemo prevention. And so I looked at natural products and food. So my lab would smell like broccoli. And <laughs> it was funky up in there. It was funky. And you can imagine in the heart of Alabama with 90 degrees going on. Oh, it, oh. It, it was funky. Ooh, gotcha. But you were doing good work, so. I was doing good work. And then NSF is the National Science Foundation. And so typically you are either on one or the other side of the house. I mean, some people cross pollinate, if you will, I guess you can use that word. Um, but most people either do one side or the other. And so as, as my career progressed, I just tended to do more on the NSF side. I found um, I was a little bit more successful with NSF. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay, so you were talking about knowing when it's, Time to leave. It was time to go, yeah. Yeah, and so um, I, I realized that I wanted to do more administrative work. I worked with programs, but I knew that my time teaching a lot of classes was coming to an end because I was, I was getting tired. And as much as I loved research, um, I, I started to develop arthritis in my hands. Mm. And so the students would have to do more and more. And, and it was, I'm not gonna say, I don't wanna use the word embarrassing, but I, I wouldn't let them know. So this is probably the first time that they see this that they'll hear. Um, but yeah, I just started shying more away from it because I didn't, I didn't want to, to do something in the lab that I couldn't control with my hands. Gotcha. And so, and so I decided that it, it was time for me to go and do some administrative work. And I um, found a position at, at the time, it was Georgia Perimeter College as a department chair. And that was a ride in and of itself. Um, I didn't really know uh, all the work that goes into the administrators, mm. the chairs. I didn't understand middle management, um, but I did understand why people drank a lot. I <laughs> you know what? I don't think I did either until, until I found myself being there. So, yeah. 
when I tell you I can relate and we probably can have some, some real, real conversations. Seriously. That's a whole beast in and of itself. It is. It is. And I wish, so nobody told me that. Right. And so when I got back, I immediately set up an appointment to talk to Al Baumstar, who had been the department chair for chemistry forever. And he really gave me, uh, he really gave me a lot of advice. Um, and so I, I pretty much listened to it. Um, and when I was hired, I was hired for the affluent um, campus, Dunwoody. And that, that worked out for a while. And I had some challenges. I had a lot of challenges. Um, I had challenges from us. So yeah. then they, they moved, they switched me and a guy. So a white guy that was on South Campus. So they moved him to the white campus. Mm. Black campus. And... <laughs> and I remember somebody saying, well, it should be that bad for you because you used to work at HBCU. <gasps> and, really? And, and at first, I was taken aback. Like, I got that look that you have, that, you know, I was there. But then I just relished in that thing. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Because I do know how to serve my folks. You know, right. And I know how to serve a community where people don't think they can thrive. So the South Campus was where you had first generation, people mm -hmm. coming back to work, mamas, single mamas, single daddies, a lot of uh, PTSD from yeah. folks that returned from the war. I, so whatever it is that you can imagine, that's what I was dealing with. I love that campus. You Look, because that's the campus when I came back, that's the campus I went to and I worked at. So it was almost like coming full circle. And I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I had some challenges um, at first coming in. I was mad. Uh, I think I was stayed mad for about two months, literally. Mm -hmm. Like I was that angry black woman. And my secretary was was a black woman. And she was like, uh, you probably need to go on back where you were because you were a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> but she <laughs> told you the truth, you know. And, and I couldn't, I had to spend some time with myself. Mm -hmm. and so once I did that, I was able to come in, apologize to her, but also tell her what I needed from her um, because she was used to being what I would say a receptionist. Mm -hmm. And I needed an admin. I needed an assistant. I didn't need somebody to answer the phone. I needed an assistant. And I remember telling her, I'm only as good as you are. Yeah. Like, I, I can't do anything here if all you want to do is answer the phone. So we need to figure out how this is going to work. Yeah. She, she really, when I when I posed it to her that way, like she blossomed, and and she was literally the front desk. Like you couldn't even get to me. And I had a trap door behind too. So, I, listen, I my administrative assistant when I was a dean um, is, and we're still in contact today. But I just love love her because. She knew what it is, what it was I was trying to do, and she knew all of the stuff. Like you know, because your administrative assistant are they're there, they're behind the scenes. They probably don't say a lot, but they get it. They see all the stuff. They see the back and forth, the struggles, the all that stuff. Once she got it, she was like, mm -mm, "Listen, let me tell you what, what's going to happen. This is what your day is like, but this is what needs to happen." And she would be, "I'm like, okay, well, make that happen for me, okay." Mm -hmm. You need an hour to figure out this thing right here. I'm gonna I'm gonna move around stuff on your schedule. Make... Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. 
And my and, and Linda used to always say, what I need you to do is you got this going on today. You need to handle this. So I need you to close this door. Or if you want to keep the door open, turn off your light, the big light, and put on a little light. Because nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna be that brazen to walk into your office. They're gonna see the light off, but you can still be in here working. She's like, do not answer the phone. The, right. Right. Same, same. I was just like, she is amazing. Ama I was like, you can't beat it. But they do, there's just something about um, being in that position that I don't know if anybody can really help you through it. It's almost like you have to go through it. Like people can say, hey, watch out for this or yeah. go down this path or go here. But until they've been in that seat and and you're getting it from like both ends because you have faculty members, but then you have, you know, you have upper management. So it's sort of like, what do you want me to do with this? Yeah. Like, how you going, how you going to handle this situation? Faculty says this, upper management says this. Now you in the middle, like, okay, handle it. Right. So some days I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the house. <laughs> and I'll figure this out tomorrow. Because <laughs> she would know if I came in and I put my stuff down and I come back in and I cross my legs. She was like, let me close the door. Because it's just so big. But you need, you, you, that is such an important position um, for, for women of color, right? Um, to, to have somebody in your corner that can that can almost shield you from some of the foolishness that's going on. Like they can't shield you from everything, but at least they can, they can tell you, okay, you might need to put this helmet on today and let me give you a pair of gloves because you're going to need this bat to mm -hmm. put your clothes on, you know, so at least to have that. Um, and Linda was, was amazing. And so once we got on the same page, life was really a lot better and she could see, what I was trying to accomplish. So I think in the process of that, um, I was the PI. I think we were awarded the step grant from mm. NSF. Okay. Which was which was really nice because it was the first time that a well, one of the first times that a two-year institution had gotten it on their own. We didn't have any partners, none of that. Once again, I didn't understand the, the depths of that <laughs> until I was seeking partners to work with. But it was fine because then I was able, I, Pamela, was able to go out and meet people. Right. How great is that? And to share the story of the students. Um, and once again, in the process, I had a great program coordinator. I mean, amazing. Like, that woman, hands down. Like, I told her, what I said, you are worth your weight in gold. So I need you to add about 10, 15 more pounds to your body. <laughs> And we're still really good friends. And, and she's now at Georgia Tech. And I made sure that, as with anybody that I work with, that you get the accolades and you get the opportunity to move your career forward. And if it means that you have to leave me, I'm not that woman. So be it. Fly, baby, fly. Yes. And so now she's in a grants office and sponsored programs at Georgia Tech. So she literally went from a program coordinator for a grant to, you know, a position in sponsored programs. I mean, who does that? You, but because because you gave her the opportunity, which means to me that you're a 
you're a person who um, sort of activates gifts in other people, um, which is sort of, you, you could actually hearken that back to your chemistry background. Um, you, you, you make that work. You pull, you pull the best out of people. You put together these reactions and, you know, things that will enhance somebody's life. So you did that. Um, and sometimes I just, I don't see it. I, I just, I always say that my gift is to develop people, which is pretty much the same thing. And whatever space that looks like, so be it. You could be my student, my colleague, my my direct report, it doesn't really matter. But I think that there is something really beautiful about, about that, especially um, because you are, you are a black woman. And um, ha again, I don't, I don't know you personally, personally like that, but I know enough about you to know that you are in the business of giving others a leg up. I've yeah. seen it from the periphery. Um, and I just... I can't, I just admire that so much because we need, we need it. Um, and I don't say we need it because we're needy, but I think this is the way the world works. Like no one, you don't walk, no one walks alone or they no. shouldn't be walking alone. And if we have some, some people who are out there who we know are willing to help you activate a gift or move into a space that they believe that this is, hey, this is where you should be. Um, if we take a posture of learning, which I think is really huge right now, as opposed to, you know, being an expert in everything, how about we take a posture of learning and growing in spaces, um, and having help or asking for help from other people who might know just a little bit more than we do yeah. and, then, and then go, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And you have put yourself, um, by doing all that you've done, um, you put yourself on in somebody's path and purposely. And I, like I said, I admire that. Thank you so much. I, I really do appreciate that. Um, and it, you know, and there's days where it just you're just like, Lord, mm, I don't know what you got, but this is a tough one. And so I, but at the end of the day, um, it's fun for me. Like I enjoy it. I know that is truly my purpose. And so when my time was winding down at Georgia State, and, and I go back to knowing when it's time to leave. Because if you don't know, you don't recognize when it's time to leave, you'll stay in a place too long. Yeah. And nothing good happens when you stay in a place too long. And especially for Black women. When you begin to upstage the people that you work under it becomes really really problematic yeah and so you have to know when it's time to leave and you have to have an exit plan and sometimes you don't have an exit plan you can put in every uh, application possible every cv you working with several search firms you might get down to the last one or two candidates and you just don't get that call but it, it may not, it may just be that that may not be the path that you need to take. And, um, and so I was in that position. And so I ended up leaving Georgia State, um, not under good terms at all. I'll just say that, not under good terms. Mm -hmm. But in the process of that very thing, um, I realized that 
that I could probably be more help to um, academicians from outside. And so it took a lot for me to literally just say, okay, how, how much more am I going to take? And my husband was like, uh, not another day. Because hmm. what you're not going to do is keep calling me about the same BS. You have written enough grants for institutions and other folks, and it is now time for you to consult other people. And so it is now time for you to consult the people that you want to consult and to write programs and grants for people that you want to work with. So if you can't figure that out, then I'm going to help you figure it out. <laughs> you know, I'm not mad at that. I mean, my husband said much the same thing. Um, when I tell you what you just said about knowing when it's time to leave and having an exit plan, I feel like you just spoke, you just spoke part of my story. Mm. I, I felt it in here. I felt it. But you know, it's sad because there's a lot of us that feel that way and just don't know where to go and what that looks like. And too afraid, right, to step out and be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I may not be able to go get those uh, those shoes from Macy's on a weekly basis, right? But I can at least buy a pair of shoes once every three months. Right. Right. That that was the thing. So when I did take the big leap, uh, um, I was like, okay. But, it, you know, it's like one of those God moments. It's a, it's a God thing um, mm -hmm. where you take that leap of faith and you do this thing. And, and then you watch God work. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, right? Right. Seriously. Because you're like, well, I didn't think I can. Like, I got this. Right. right. You're worried about this over here. I need you to focus on this over here. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you said that. Because that is really what it, it literally took. Just a leap of faith. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Uh, bring us full, full, full uh, uh, steam ahead. So what, where are we, where, where, where are we right now? Mm -hmm. um, so I have a consulting business, PLR Consulting. Um, yeah, Pamela Legger Robinson Consulting. Okay, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, I consult um, organizations, institutions, and people. Um, and it just depends. I do program management, program evaluation, program development. Um, I do some grant writing. So, you know, I like it, but I have found that it is probably the most challenging for other people. It is more challenging because people want to pay you on the backside. Mm -hmm. Not understanding the work that goes in on the front end. So I don't do a lot of that. Um, but I do a lot of dissemination. You know, I, I give talks and workshops, facilitation, and I love to write. And so the program evaluation, the program development, um, the program management, all that comes into play. And as I said, I, I do it with institutions or organizations, but I love doing it with people as well. And so I do have a certification of, in project management. And so my favorite thing is personal project management. And that's what the world calls coaching. But I've coined it as personal. Because mm -hmm. I do believe we're all projects in and of ourselves. And if I can help you understand some of the roadblocks that you have placed in front of yourself, and to see things from a different lens, then, then, then I get fulfillment out of that, just to make sure that you can move on the path that you decide to go. And sometimes, it, you know, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's easy. But when I thought about it, I have been coaching since I can remember, right? So I was right. coaching to get out the lab. So when I had my own research group, I was coaching and mentoring them. 
as a department chair, I was coaching and mentoring junior faculty to get to senior faculty positions or mid-level faculty positions. And so what's the difference? Right. And um, external advisory board members. So once again, I was consulting the whole time. And so I just literally used every skill that I had been trained in throughout my academic career to just open my own business. And, um, and, and I've been, I've been very blessed. Um, so one of the ladies that really, really helped me to understand that is Kelly Mack. When I say she was just amazing, amazing woman. And she just really just reminded me that it was me and not my title. Mm. And so with that, I was able to just keep it moving. And that's really what I do. And so I only work with people that I want to work with. Mm -hmm. Because see, I don't need that headache. And there's no amount of money that I want to give me that headache. And so I work with organizations and people that, and, and institutions that are aligned with my mission. And my mission is really broadening participation for underserved communities and underserved marginalized people. Um, and so in this space, I really focus on black folks. You know, I would love to say black and brown, and there are occasions where I do work in that space, right? And diversity and equity and access and, inclusivity for everybody but my main focus is black women because mm -hmm. i know we often get the short end of the stick we got to wear the s on our chest come home try to go grocery shopping for the bacon come home cook the bacon make sure everybody's good make sure hubby is good i'm the first one up in the morning and the last one to go to bed at night truth and so i want to make sure that when i get up and work when I get on a plane to go meet my client, when I go give a talk, it is something that I actually want to do. And I don't want, I, you know, and there, there are challenges, but I, I don't want to work. I, I don't want to have to work in a space of BS. Yes. And I don't want to, I don't want to work in a space of like being scared, but like scared to, you know, like be like when I show up, I have to be something else. Like I can't, it's not safe for me to be myself. I, I, I don't want to do that ever again in life. No, it's no fun. And it just adds a level of stress. You know, I want to be able to say, okay, well today I'm going to um, have light brown hair. So if, if you saw the, the webinar before, you know, on the book, I had dark hair, right? I, I was looking like two-tone Sally. <laughs> it was lovely. <laughs> I was like, you know, I got to get my hair done. So, you know, but I love natural hair. And I think, you know, I think you should be able to show up however you want to show up. I don't, I don't like gray all the time. And I definitely don't like black all the time. I definitely don't like blue all the time. I love hot pinks and reds and oranges. I just, I love being a girl. I'm very, very girly. And so in chemistry, you don't get that opportunity, girly. Right. You have to kind of blend in so the guys can accept you. But I will say this. I did have one mentor, and he said, I used to ask him, what should I wear? And he was like, you know, I know this is going to sound sexist, but I don't care. He was like, show up looking beautiful. He said, because at least if you mess up with what you're saying, we all have something great to look at. <laughs> sexist. Sexist <laughs> remark. But when I tell you, it, it stayed with me because I'm like, I'm just going to show up and be me. Mm -hmm. and however they accept what I got to say, they'll accept it. And so that's why I am with PLR. Uh, the colors are green and black because black is actually my very favorite color in the whole world because it encompasses every color. I mean, um, 
And it is beautiful. And it is beautiful, see? And so when I show up spaces, I show up in either green or black, sometimes white, but for the most part, green and black. So I get to show up the way I want to show up. So you see today I have my green and black dress. I see, and it's beautiful. Um, I, I feel the same. I mean, it's it's there's something so freeing about um, being yourself. Yeah, it is, and it, and I think sometimes it takes us long a long time to get to that place. So I have one final question for you, um, and it's the question that I ask everyone who's been a guest. Well, no, two final questions. One, um, where if folks are looking for you. Um, where can they find you? Oh, so you can find me on Twitter. I never thought I'd be able to say this, but oh my God, I can say it. So you can find me on Twitter. It's drpamplr. You can find me there. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just put in my name, Pamela Leggett Robinson. You can also find me at Pamela, uh, well, Pamela at plrconsultingservices.org. Or you can just type in PLR Consulting and Google will take you to my website. Nice. So. I guess this is the second to the last or the first to the last question. So <laughs> you got to tell us about the book. You got to tell us what, what's up. Okay. So the book came, it was released in uh, the last part of June. Oh my God. I was waiting with bated breath. And we had our live table talk on July 1. But you can go to YouTube. If you go to my webpage, you can find it. I've got the, the everything's been recorded. You can even get the early look on the YouTube channel, on the YouTube channel. Um, but the book Overcoming Barriers for Women of Color in STEM Fields, um, Emerging Research and Opportunities, because I'm hoping people will use this as a research book and really start to expand on the work that was done there. So I'm hoping to see some of our young, bright female scholars start writing more about intersectionality, about the, the power of network, the power of community, the power of storytelling, and the, the roles of our HBCUs in mentoring. Um, the, the role of journaling uh, and the role of really policy in higher ed, like that diversity policy. I would love to see someone take up that task and that torch and say, hey, this is the research that I want to go into. Mm -hmm. I said science policy on diversity in higher ed. What are we really doing to solve, to solve the questions and the issues that we're having? So yeah, you can buy it on Amazon or you can go to IGI Globe. And now, listen, mine is uh, coming this week. So when I hit you up and I say, listen, I'm going to put this in the mail. <laughs> I'm going to need you to sign this. <laughs> I would love to. My son and daughter were like, I got the book, Mama, can you sign it? I was like, I'm your mama. I'm like, I'm here to sign a book. Uh-uh, because, I mean, 20, 30 years from now, this is when it's a classic, and it's like, I've got your signature? What? Okay. I got plans. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I, I, yeah, so we, we have, from the book, the authors have come together, and we have actually formed our own community, nice. which is something that I could never have imagined. I'm working on some projects, so hopefully getting that information out within the next month? Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think it's needed. I mean, you know, as we talked about a little earlier, there is just, we need it. We, we need it. We need to be together. We need a safe space for us to tell our stories, to commiserate, to mentor, to, you know, heal, to, yeah. to prosper, to grow, um, to, you know, just sort of be divergent if we want to be, you know? Yeah, and to be strategic in how we move forward. 
I love it. I love it. Um, count me in. <laughs> I'm so, now, you know I will, because, you know, I stalk on, like I said, at least you said, I flat out stalk. Count, count, listen, I'm saying stalk. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the last question that I ask all guests um, is, if you could, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you tell her and why? Um, and each time someone asks me this question, like I think I have the answer and then depending on the space that I'm in that particular day, sometimes it's different. But I think what I typically always go back to is understanding your purpose. Spending the time to understand what it is that you would do for free. Because it is that very thing that you would do for free that is actually your purpose. Mm. Um, I would learn to trust God more on the onset than on the back. Mm. Um, and not be hesitant about who, or hesitant or apologetic about who I am and my thoughts and my ideas. Um, and I think that goes back to understanding your purpose and just trusting God to move forward. There were a lot of times I had ideas and I just didn't share them. And then next thing you know, somebody else had the same idea and they were published and doing all manner of stuff. And so um, that's, I would definitely just really be in line with understanding what my purpose was and just being my authentic self and being okay with that. You know, people say everybody's not going to like you. Yeah, they're right. Everybody's not going to like you. But at the end of the day, I have to like myself. Mm -hmm. and if I'm trying to please everybody else instead of walking in my purpose, then I can't be happy. And so I would rather walk in my purpose and be happy and keep it moving. I, so my favorite shirt these days um, is a shirt that says, be you, they'll adjust. I, I, certainly. I promise you, I, I will. I'm going to email it when we get off. Um, but yeah, that's my favorite shirt. Love it. What? I probably, did it come in different colors? Cause I it does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Black and green. Black and green. <laughs> you know what? Probably whatever I do next, you know, I will wear that to whatever I <laughs> Yes. Cute slacks and some cute shoes, but I will have that shirt on. What? Yes, that 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 was that was it. So th that sums up what you just said. Um, and I love, I just love, just love that. And I know that my audience will love it as well. Um, so, <laughs> Dr. Rob, everybody, Dr. Rob, um, thank you so much for taking some time um, to come on the show and drop all these these nuggets of just uh, perfection. Um, that I know that my listeners are going to um, eat up and hopefully they will they will bear fruit and they will fall on fertile ground and we will see more of us um, yeah. walking and working in spaces, being themselves and being true to themselves and, and, and sort of being purposeful and intentional about discovering, discovering what their purpose is. Exactly. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and spend time with you. Like I said, I, I've been wanting to do this for a while. So thank you for all the work that you do for us. Oh, thank, thank you. It's a, as you said, this is, this is a passion project. So, and, and it's a part of my purpose. So I'll be here until I'm not. <laughs> I'm talking about with you.
All right, you guys, thank you guys for listening in and, and for listening up, as I always ask you to do. And keep yourself safe as um, until we can meet again. Um, and uh, I will see you next go round. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Stimming in Stilettos. I sincerely hope that you learned something new from our guest today. Remember that you can listen to Stimming in Stilettos anywhere podcasts are found. You can follow us on Facebook at Stimming in Stilettos. You can find Dr. Tasha on Facebook and Twitter at Dr. Tasha 11, Instagram at Dr. Tasha. So until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stimming in Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stimming in Stilettos.